Hello everyone, you're listening to the When in Spain podcast. My name's Paul Burge and I aim to bring you, the listeners, a little corner of Spain each week. Spanish life, Spanish culture, travel, practical advice and indeed my own observations on life right here in Spain. So according to the Madrid City Hall, El Ayuntamiento de Madrid, the Spanish capital has 9,139 streets. And coming up in this week's episode, we're going to be talking all about the streets of Madrid. And to help me do this, I've enlisted the help of Spain travel consultant, Karen Rosenblum. El que no pasa por la calle de la pasa, no se casa. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Those who don't walk through Raisin Street yeah. don't get married. Yeah. So basically, if you want to get married in Spain, you need to walk down Raisin Street. We headed out and spent an afternoon pounding the pavements. No, not all 9,139 streets. But between us, we compiled a list of our top 12 favourite streets in the Spanish capital. And we chose streets which we have a certain fondness for, let's put it that way, based on lots of different things, really, based on their quirky character, maybe their physical beauty, the history behind them, and some curious and amusing stories as well. Karen's from San Francisco. She's been living in Madrid for a number of years and worked in the travel industry for more than 20 years. And she works as a travel consultant, putting together bespoke itineraries for anyone coming to visit and travel in Spain. And specifically for people who are interested in getting a little bit off the beaten path in Spain. She runs a fantastic Facebook community called Travel Spain! Exclamation mark. So go and search that out if you're planning a trip to Spain. It's a wealth of information. And she also has a brand new website called spainlesstraveled.com. So stay tuned for the end of the podcast where Karen will be sharing a little bit more detail about the services that she offers. But before we whisk you off on a tour of Madrid city streets, I just wanted to give a special shout out to Well in Spain patrons Cristina Ilnerm and Quincy Struss. And uh, well, they are both already Well in Spain patrons, for which I'm very, very grateful. But not only that, they have decided to increase their monthly patron pledges. They've decided to up how much they donate each month to help keep When in Spain, this podcast uh, going and growing and to help secure its long-term future. So Christina and Quincy, muchísimas gracias to both of you for doing that. It's greatly appreciated. For any other listeners of this podcast who enjoy the show, uh, please consider becoming a When in Spain patron. Patrons are wonderful people who enjoy the podcast and sign up via the crowdfunding website called patreon.com to make small monthly donations to help support the work that I do and to keep the podcast going. So if you think the show is worth a few dollars of your money each month, then please consider signing up to become a patron. For being a patron, you'll also get access to bonus When in Spain content as well, which I'm in the process of putting together. And to become a patron, it's quite simple. You just head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, 
com forward slash when in Spain. And uh, when you hit that page, it's all very self-explanatory. You'll see that there are various tiers of patronage to which you can sign up. And uh, it couldn't be easier. It's safe. It's secure. There are about 5 million people using Patreon, helping support independent content producers like myself via the Patreon platform. Okay, so Streets of Madrid. Well, Karen and I clocked up 10,000 steps exploring our favourite streets in the Spanish capital, which included the neighbourhoods of Chamberí, Salamanca, Chueca, Las Letras, Madrid de las Austrias, Sol, Embajadores and Lava Pies. So join us now as we met up to start our walkabout on a lovely sunny morning in one of our favourite squares. ¡Vamos! Karen, thank you so much for joining the When in Spain podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. We are sitting right now on Plaza de Olavide, which is uh, up in the north of Madrid, still fairly central, um, I guess in the Chamberí barrio. Set the scene for us, Karen. First of all, this is my favorite plaza in Madrid. Um, I live not very far from here, and this is where I personally come to unwind. I love it because it's so local. Like, you know, across from us right now is an older, like an abuela, um, you know, chatting with a friend of hers. And there's lots of locals just around going on with their day. There were just some school children who walked through the plaza. There's actually a little playground right over there. And the architecture surrounding the plaza is so beautiful. Um, There's cafes and there's a big fountain right in the middle. It's just kind of like the perfect local Madrid plaza. Well, it's a square, but it's actually kind square. of... It's circular, really, isn't it? It's yeah. a circular a circular square with a uh, fountain in the middle and gardens. <laughs> and like you said, there's all of Spanish life right here in front of us on, well, I have to say, a beautiful, sunny winter morning. We're really lucky with the weather today because it's been really grey and cold lately. It's absolutely beautiful. I had been living in Madrid for about two years before I discovered this square, but it's one of my favourites because, like you said, it's a, it's a really pretty square. It's a, it is off the beaten path a little bit, you know. We're not talking, you know, Plaza Mayor or Sol or anywhere like that. It's up in the north of the centre. Um, all the way around the square, as we look around, we've got sort of, I don't know, six, seven, eight-storey, uh, I suppose... Uh, Early 20th century apartment buildings with their, with their balconies, all different kind of shapes and sizes, and, uh, and below them, cafes and bars. And I would say this is a great place to come, even more so in the spring and the summer when the weather's good, to sit outside. It has a really lively uh, terraza yes. culture, uh, very lively um, in the summer months of the weekends. It's a lovely little retreat as well in the day. It is, it is. And like, you know, sometimes on a sunny day, I'll come out here and get a table at a terraza, a little local hangout. But then it's also where I like to meet my friends for a drink if we're ever going out. Oh, let's just meet in Plaza Olavide. It's great. It's central, but it's local. Probably my favorite square in Madrid. because It's got a bit of everything. It doesn't get too crowded. It's not Mm. super touristy. Interesting history behind it. Basically, where we're sitting now in front of the fountain used to be a huge indoor market. I mean, it's hard to imagine now, looking at the square where we are. From 1876, there was a barley and fruit and veg market here. Yeah, right. That's crazy to think about right now. Yeah, and the original market was a kind of iron and zinc structure, very similar to the market uh, of San Miguel Market Ah, near Plaza Mayor, but on a bigger scale. 
and it kind of outgrew itself and it got a bit dilapidated and run down. So in 1934, they decided to knock down the original market and rebuild another one. Um, this was during the Second Republic, and it was really ugly. It was what they called rationalist architecture, the rationalist style, absolutely brutal, huge, big, concrete, octagonal building that basically looked like a UFO had landed in the middle of this beautiful oh. square. And over time, the market lost popularity. And in 1974, in some spectacular controlled explosion, they raised it to the ground so that they could redevelop the square and create what we see today, which is this lovely fountain and gardens. Quite interesting. It's I'll put some photos for the podcast listeners in the show notes and on the Facebook page. Why is it called Plaza de Olavide? There's a little bit more history behind it. Ah, interesante. <laughs> it was named after someone called... Pablo Olavide, who was a Spanish writer and translator and a politician. And he was a, a Francophile. He was heavily into French literature. He oh. translated lots of French literature. He was actually born in Lima, in Peru, oh. uh, in 1686. I love Peru. Yeah, I've never been. I'd mm. like to go. That's on my list. Great destination. He was actually prosecuted during uh, the Spanish Inquisition for being a heretic in 1778. Oh. And he fled to France. He did eventually return to Spain and uh, died in a small village in Andalusia in 1803. So that's where the square takes its name from, Pablo Olavide. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. It has a lot of my favorite things in it. You know, resistance, Andalusia, translators. Amazing. Now I love my favorite plaza even more. In a moment, we're going to have maybe a wander over to a bar called Bar Mentrida, because inside in that bar, which is on the square, they have lots of photos on the wall tracing the history of this square. So we've just stepped into Bar Mentrida. Not disappointed, because on the wall, um, there are about eight or ten photos of the old market. Um, they're kind of like slow motion shots of the explosion, this huge detonation. It really does look like a like a UFO, that's for certain. That would have been an interesting day to be in the plaza. Yeah, right, a lot of dust. <laughs> Must have taken a lot of dynamite to bring that beast down. Yeah, right. <laughs> so if you're in Plaza Olavide and you want to see what the square used to look like, pop into Bar Mentrida, it's number three. While we're here, we're also going to talk about a couple of other locations yeah. in the north of the city where we are now. Karen, tell me one of the places that you wanted to talk about. Well, I was going to talk a little bit about Malasagna because it's a barrio that was named after a woman, which I like. And um, it's actually one of my favorite barrios in Madrid. There's a lot of cool street art there. It's really hip and popular right now. The architecture is amazing, but it still has some local life left. But basically, um, the center of the barrio is Plaza do de Mayo, which is um, where the Spaniards held back the French during the war. But the cool thing about it is... This was the War of Independence, right? Yes, yes, it was the War of Independence. The cool thing about it is Manuela Malasaña, she was a teenage woman, she was a seamstress, and legend has it that she defended herself from the French with a pair of scissors. So, strong woman, love a good barrio named after a woman. Malasaña is a great place to visit. It's also in the center of Madrid's Movida movement. Mm. Calle de Belarde, for example, has a lot of Movida bars on Alte de San pa uh, Pablo, which is right over there as well. And it's kind of an interesting neighborhood to walk around, cute little shops, 
good Madrid local life. Not quite as local as where we're sitting now, but still really popular, really popular. And when you talk about La Movida, we're talking about, I guess, the kind of late 1970s, early 80s, after uh, the return to democracy, after Franco had died. La Movida was kind of, I suppose, like the cultural renaissance in Spain, a bit like the 1960s in America and the UK, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It was when artists and creatives were able to thrive and be themselves again after going through a dictatorship that pretty much didn't allow any of that. So... You know, from that movement, you see great works of art, great movies, great, just great creatives coming out. And and many of the bars that they hung out at were on Calle de Belarde, right over there in Malasana. Yeah, I think La Movida was a real milestone in modern Spanish popular culture, I guess. Karen, while we're up in the north of the city, I just wanted to talk about another street which I'm quite fond of. Not too far from here, over across in the Salamanca neighborhood called Calle Jorge Juan. And Calle Jorge Juan is, well... How would you describe it? Pijo. Pijo. What does pijo mean? Posh. It is a posh street. I think I kind of like it because of the contrast between the neighborhood where I live down in La Latina. And it's quite interesting to walk around that street because it's, it's lined with tiny little exclusive designer boutiques, very high-end restaurants. And when you walk around that area, you see, you know, just by the way people are dressed, you notice that you can tell that you're in a a, a very rich neighborhood. I always think of these these abuelas (laughs) with their little poodles, perfectly coiffed. Both both abuela and poodle, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Perfectly coiffed poodle and perfectly coiffed hair lots of big jewelry and sometimes you see fur coats but there is a little part of calle jorge juan which i think is actually elegant and pretty and it's called callejon jorge juan and callejon means little street and it's a little part of calle jorge juan which is about 20 meters long it's kind of a cobbled street it's basically like a, a patio very exclusive restaurants and a couple of other designer boutiques as well It'll definitely bust your budget. But yeah, absolutely beautiful little street. <laughs> and as we talk about Calle Jorge Juan, which is like the, one of the main shopping streets in the Salamanca neighborhood, I must just mention that the Salamanca neighborhood is one of the newer parts of the city. It was developed in the late 1800s and early 1900s as a kind of extension of the city. And you really notice it by the kind of format of that neighborhood. But it's like a grid system. Reminds me quite a bit of the Echemple neighborhood of Barcelona. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's hard to get lost in Echemple and it's hard to get lost in Salamanca. And Calle Jorge Juan, which kind of rolls off the throat in quite a nice way. I like the way it sounds. Jorge Juan was an engineer. He was a scientist and engineer. And he was one of the people responsible for developing and helping to lay out that part of the city. So that's where the street uh, takes its name from. But if you're in Madrid and you're interested in seeing how the other half live, if you like, the posh side of Madrid, (laughs) go and explore Salamanca. Go and have a walk along Calle Jorge Juan, especially at lunchtime, because you'll see lots of people sitting out on the terrazas all year round, because in the winter they cover them up and they have heaters. And you'll see all these kind of quite chicly dressed women and businessmen and all of this kind of thing. Interesting um, study of contrast in Madrid life, for sure. Right? Yeah, and beautiful. And Barrio Salamanca is architecturally stunning. There's some real gems. Yeah. You've got another one on your list of favorite streets up in the north of the city yeah. as well. I mean, you know, north of Gran Via, but not as far north as, as Salamanca. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the Chueca neighborhood, which is the heart and soul of Madrid's 
lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Spain in general, but actually Spain was one of the first countries to allow same-sex marriage. It was the third country um, after the Netherlands and Belgium, and and that was actually um, legalized under the socialist prime minister Zapatero, who made it a constitutional right. So go Spain, real progressive in that area. Um, Madrid also hosted World Pride a few years ago, and Madrid also has one of the biggest pride celebrations in Europe. One of the interesting areas in that neighborhood is, of course, you know, there's the bars, and it is the center of gay life, modern. Uh, the Chueca metro system, for example, is all decked out in rainbow, which is in Plaza de Chueca. But um, Pedro Zorolo also has a, a square named after him. And, and who was Pedro Zorolo? He was um, one of the first openly gay politicians in Spain, and he was really um, key in helping legalize gay marriage and, you know, give other rights to same-sex couples, such as adoption, um, making adoption legal to same-sex couples. So he has a square over in the Chueca neighborhood as well, and just really, you know, really great tribute to somebody who was a key in, in making Madrid progressive and open, mm. and Spain in general, not just Madrid when it comes to same-sex rights. The Chueca neighborhood is a really beautiful neighborhood, and it's great fun. Oh, great, it's a, it's a fantastic, God. vibrant, lively neighborhood, great bar culture. Um, if you want an alternative to Malasagna or, or La Latina, uh, Chueca is a great option. Uh, Gay or not, it's, Gay or it's, not. It's, yeah. it's a fantastic neighborhood. I mean, honestly, so I'm from San Francisco, um, and I feel right at home in Chueca, and I love it <laughs> for that. So yeah, Gay or not, it's a great neighborhood to go hang out, and see how open and loving Madrid really is. Yeah, and I guess the kind of epicenter is, like you said, is the Plaza de Chueca, yeah. where the metro stop is. So it's, it's a lovely square. Yeah, yeah, great place to have an afternoon drink on a terraza cafe on a sunny day. Really hard to get a table on a sunny day, especially weekend. But that's yeah. very true. And also, kind of the the whole neighbourhood, I guess. But I guess that square, kind of the epicenter of gay pride, and also down in Cibeles where they have yeah. the big parade. And it's huge. Yeah. Oh my God, it's great. Crazy. Um, and again, that's a great fun. If anyone, when yeah. when does uh, Pride normally take place? So it's in June. Um, I think I, I think that they do it sort of like what the U.S. does. Whereas in Spain, every major city has their Pride on a different weekend. So Barcelona's one weekend in June. Madrid's another. If you are in Madrid around that weekend, yeah. you can't miss it. You but can. it's great fun. They close all of the streets yeah. off in the center, the uh, Paseo del Prado. Uh, parts of the Castellana, the big Cibeles Square in front mm -hmm. of the Cibeles Palace, all closed off for big street parties, parades, absolutely yes. thousands and thousands of people there. It's a sea of it's, people, uh, yes. debauchery, party, it's great. Totally, totally, a sea of beautiful rainbows and all-inclusiveness. So we've just hopped on line one from Bilbao Metro, which is up by Plaza Olavide, and we've swung down to the south of the city. We got out of the metro at Anton Martin, and we've just cut through into what's called Barrio de las Letras, otherwise known as Huertas. Huertas and Barrio de las Letras. Why is this neighborhood particularly well-known and famous? So if you're 
interested in writing. This was where all of the Spanish literary giants lived um, and wrote. People such as Cervantes and Lope de Vega and uh, Quevedo as Qu well. Quevedo as well, yeah, yeah, during the kind of golden age of Spanish literature, uh, 1700s I suppose. I've got an interesting story about Quevedo coming up in one of our latest stops. You're going to love it. You absolutely must listen to this. It's very funny, yeah. but we'll talk about that later. So whereabouts are we now, Karen? So right now we're on Calle de las Huertas, but we're about to go over to Calle de León, which means lion in Spanish. Also, Huertas is orchard as well, so kind of like the orchard, the garden. But um, the reason that we chose this particular area is, well, first of all, on Calle de las Huertas, there's inlays in the street from Spanish literary giants. But um, it's a beautiful street to stroll down. But I particularly like Calle de León. Well, I'm a Leo. I love lions. But ah, your star sign yeah, is Leo. I see. And then we, if, you, if we look up that's the street name, as which is also worth mentioning, yes. like many of the streets in the centre of Madrid have these beautiful tiled signs yes. with the name of the street, obviously, but also uh, sort of paintings as well, which just sort of mm -hmm. depict the name of the street. And upon the sign there, Calle de Leon, we've got... A big lion. A big lion with a guy which has it on a chain, it looks like. I'm, I'm not really for keeping lions on chains, but the street itself, Calle de Leon, I really like it because there's just so many interesting shops and restaurants and it's, it kind of is like a very local feel to the barrio. So now we've just turned on to Calle de Leon proper and... We're strolling toward one of our personal favorite random places in Madrid. <laughs> Important to note that both of us lived in this neighborhood yeah. um, back when we first moved to Madrid, right? Yeah. So here we are, Calle de Leon. Plenty of little independent shops, yeah. boutiques, clothes stores, yeah. but we are just approaching, approaching now. The Mecca. The Mecca. Where are we? <laughs> well, we are at a place called Casa Gonzalez, which is this really great cafe slash cheese shop. One of the reasons that I love it is in, uh, for breakfast in the morning, they actually have a menu of cheese toast with local Spanish cheeses to try. And I mean, totally, Sp Spaniards really like to eat sweets in the morning. Mm. I like my sweets, but I'm kind of more of a savory girl. I love my cheese. This is always like a great place for me to come and eat breakfast because I can eat savory being vegetarian without eating jamón. I love this place too. It's uh, it's kind of a little bar slash delicatessen as well. We're just looking yeah. in the window now and they've got these two glass cases packed full of cheese, different types of cheeses. There will be Spanish cheeses there, but I think yeah. they also have quite a good range of other international cheeses. And they do a mean cheese plate, a, a cheese board. They do. I mean, I think I spy some San Simon in there, which is my favorite cheese from well, my favorite cheese from Spain, but it comes from Galicia. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some Cabrales in there, which I see. I can you see. can see that. You could probably smell it from here, too. Almost. My, my mouth's watering yeah, slightly. Mine too. Yeah, mine too. They've got tables and chairs in the front, in the window, and also a space at the back to sit mm -hmm. down. But you can order stuff to go. You can order cheese to take home. Oh, um, oh I've never done that one. Okay. Yeah. They Giving were, me ideas. They will slice it up for you. And then along the walls, we've got lots and lots of bottles of wine yeah. for sale uh, to take away. You can also have coffee and wine here to, to have in. And then if you look, can you see Karen over there? They've got loads and loads of tins and oh, jars. Of course. Of All the like delicacies from the north. Yeah. The anchovies, the... the 
everything from the Cantabrian Sea, which I don't eat because I'm vegetarian, but my non-vegetarian friends yeah. tell me how delicious it all is. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, Casa González. It's on uh, number 12. Number 12, yeah. Number 12, Calle de León. And then next door we've got, I suppose, yeah, Taberna, oh, yeah. Stop Madrid is, uh, it's a, they've got it's a few a branches around the city. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's classic though. It's classic, it's got this beautiful red, dark, dark red, black and gold facade. We've got um, some images of famous literary giants. Here they are. There are there's our hero, Francisco de Quevedo. We'll talk about him later. We're definitely talking about him later. There are tiled, painted uh, images of Miguel de Cervantes, of course. We've got Lope de Vega. And there's another one at the end. Who's that? Calderón de la Barca. Okay, I'm, okay. I don't know who he is, to I, be is honest. That, is he wearing the... He looks like... He looks like a priest. Yeah, he's definitely a priest. Yeah. Um, He's okay. wearing, yeah, so there you go. So that's that's just next door. Um, and that's a good place for tapas, yeah. canyas, wine. I would say it's a little bit kind of touristy. It's, it's a targeted a bit at the tourist yeah. market. I mean, the facade is beautiful and it has some nice atmosphere, but it is definitely targeted to tourists, especially because there's a few branches around the city. Yeah, They're all unique, though. That's the cool thing. What else have we got? We've got our, our lavanderia. We've got a little yeah. laundry, which um, well, has is, been there a long time. Absolutely. You can tell this is a neighborhood. There's a little Carre Four Express uh, grocery store. Yeah. There's a shoe repair right across the street that's probably been there for... <laughs> uh, I don't even know. I'm surprised he even takes credit cards. He has a visa sign in the window, but... Um. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And now we've just come along to the junction with Calle de Cervantes oh, yeah. and looking up at the, the, the street name, which again is made out in tiles. There he is, the man himself, Calle de Cervantes. He lived on that street. There's a small free museum actually on the street with a cute little courtyard. There is, yes, that's worth pointing out. So we're walking down the street, yeah, narrow. It is open to traffic, yes. so you have to kind of watch your back, but it's a very narrow street. And again, it's the typical Madrid, beautiful apartment buildings, yeah. about three or four stories tall, balconies. with all their wrought iron balconies and plants out on the, on the balconies mm -hmm. as well. Um, it's got a very nice kind of cozy feel to it. It does. It does. It, even though it's, we're very close to the center, we're about, what, a five, six minute walk from Plaza Mayor, yeah. it, it still has a very neighborhoody feel, which I really like. This whole neighborhood, as you said, I think it's a good kind of starting point for anyone coming to visit Madrid for the first time, Absolutely. maybe as a place to base yourself uh, in terms of accommodation. Yes. Um, actually, uh, interesting point you brought up there, Paul. So for my first time travelers coming to Madrid, I actually recommend staying in this neighborhood or close to Atocha Station, which is also really close to this neighborhood. The reason is it's a beautiful neighborhood, um, but you're really close to the major museums, so the Prado, uh, Reina Sofia, mm -hmm. and you're close to Rotero Park. You're close to Atocha Station, so if you're trying to, you know, transfer and go to Sevilla in a few days after Madrid and get on the Ave train, you're right there. There's a really large range of accommodation as well. It's not only luxury hotels or it's not only cheap hostels. You can... Something for all price points. Yes, exactly. Yes. Good. Good way to say that. <laughs> Basically, the Las Letras neighborhood is kind of maze of streets yes. full of bars and restaurants and little kind of boutique yeah. shops. Yeah, great. It's also a great area if you're looking to bring something back from Spain. Um, to get like authentic made in Spain little things to bring back. Right, let's uh, have a wander to our next stop. We're going to head off down now to Madrid de las Austrias. So let's go. Vamos.
So we've just cut through Plaza Mayor and we found ourselves on a very quiet and deserted Calle del Codo. I mean, I could almost take a nap on this calle, which for Madrid is a spectacular thing to say. It's lunchtime on a Friday afternoon, um, and I'm really surprised that there aren't. It's quite a central location yeah. near Plaza Mayor, but it's uh, very quiet. Very quiet. Calle del Codo, Elbow Street. Elbow. Elbow Street. We're just looking up at the sign, which is again one of these tiled signs, and it's got a picture of an arm, which is sort of being flexed to show the elbow. And it's an armoured arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And um, where we are now is we're just standing actually outside wooden doorway, foreboding wooden foreboding. wooden doorway. Behind those doors is uh, a convent of, it's called El Convento de las Carboneras, and that is uh, where there are cloistered nuns who sell cookies, biscuits, sweets, and I did an episode about this, when in Spain listeners, um, last spring, so check back for one about buying holy sweets, and it's quite interesting because you go in, and because the nuns are cloistered, they make the cookies and the sweets in the convent and they sell them it does smell good in there and they make them to obviously you know subsidize a little bit you know their expenses of running the convent but it's an interesting experience because you go in you walk through this you ring a little doorbell which we see here which on the doorbell it (laughs) says the options on the doorbell are amazing basically you have the option to ring for sweets or confessional so depending (laughs) on what kind of day you're having i don't know today I'd probably need to ring both, but who knows? Yeah, <laughs> me too. I, I would be inclined to want to ring the one that says sweets or the one that says nuns. Nun, nun. And it says there, horario, venta de dulces. Ah. And you go in and there's like a kind of hatch. You don't see the nun. A hatch swings round. There's a little menu. Oh, you yeah. decide what you want. You put the money on the hatch. The hatch swings round and your, your box of cookies miraculously appear. So you, you get to do this whole transaction without seeing a person. It's kind of like a love hotel yeah. in Japan. <laughs> exactly. Right? Well, yeah. yeah. And they're really delicious when I bought some last year. A little bit expensive, but they're good. Are um, they expensive? Ah, okay. I think I paid like 15 euros for Ooh. half a kilo of cookies. They were really good, though. I mean, I'd probably pay 15 euro for a half a kilo of really good nun cookies. Yeah. Let's walk up. Yeah. Why is it called Elbow Street? Well, because of the shape of the street. As we walk up further, you'll see it's a very narrow street. It's probably only, what, here, maybe four meters four wide, meters and it's wide. a bit wider there, about yeah. seven meters wide. It connects Plaza de Conde de Miranda up with Plaza de la Villa. But you can see where the street suddenly makes a very becomes sharp... Becomes an elbow. Becomes an elbow. Yeah. Makes a very sudden turn to the left. Incredibly non-creative name, yet a great name at the same time. Yeah, I like it. Elbow yeah. Street. The name of the street was coined by Marquis de Graval in the early 18th century. Mm-hmm. It's got some interesting history behind it, some important locations, and a funny story yeah. connected to it as well. Earlier we talked about Quevedo, and I'm going to keep you in a little bit more suspense before yes. I share this little, uh, so this, uh, this little story. Also on the street, the site of the former Spanish newspaper archives. Now, Quevedo. Quevedo. Very naughty boy. Porfine. Very naughty. Very naughty boy. Those <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, crazy writers. I know, right? Love them. The amusing story about Elbow Street, legend has it. Legend. Nothing's been proven, but we're going to pretend. Let's pretend. For sure. Yeah. 
Um, legend has it, let's go back to the 1600s. Let's imagine it's a dark night. Ancavedo <laughs> had been drinking probably quite heavily mm-hmm. in the local taverns around this area. I mean, writers kind of might have that reputation. <laughs> this street was one of his favorite streets to pee in (laughs) after drinking in the local taverns because it was so narrow and dark, so it was quite (laughs) secretive. But to make matters worse, he always peed in the same doorway. Do we we know exactly where this doorway is? Unfortunately, I don't know. Uh, I wonder if there was a plaque saying Quevedo peed here. I'm kind of looking around (laughs) up and down, like for one of those diamond plaques. The story goes that the owner of this property where, you know, the doorway where he used to pee, got really, really fed up of the smell of urine. Really pissed off, no pun intended. Pissed off is probably a better phrase to use. So the owner of the the building painted a white cross on the door with a message saying, don't piss where there is a cross. Mm -hmm. But Covedo being Covedo didn't really take much notice of this. And Covedo continued to pee on the doorway and he also replied scrawling his own message on the door saying don't draw a cross where I piss. I mean logical logical. Right? It's, it's strange. So there you go. There's a little interesting story about Quevedo and Calle del Codo. Also worth mentioning is the location of the Real Academy de Ciencias Morales y Políticas, which oh, right. is a little plaque just there on the wall that we can, which we can see. And it's also the site of the Torre de los Lujanes, mm. uh, which, was the, uh, yeah, which is the home of the headquarters of the Royal Academy of Moral Sciences and Politics. So all of the buildings are kind of painted uh, in a kind of orangey-yellow, colour. Um, Very Madrid. We're just going to turn the corner of the elbow now. So we are just we're, standing we're. on the elbow. We're just coming to the end of Calle del Codono, which takes us out suddenly from a very dark, mm-hmm. narrow street. I see sunlight. Sunlight and Plaza de la Villa. Oh, nice bit of warm sunshine. Oh, that there. feels amazing. This is also where Madrid... Um, Interestingly enough, hosts their Hanukkah party. Yes, they have one in Madrid, and every year, on, every year for Hanukkah, they put a big menorah in this plaza, and the rabbi of one of the, the the synagogue comes and speaks, and it's a big Hanukkah fiesta in Madrid. I didn't know that. Okay, so we've just wandered around, not far, just like a five-minute walk around from Elbow Street, and we are now on Calle de la Pasa. Meaning Raisin Street. Raisin Street. Raisin. Yeah, it could be translated as Raisin. On the sign, it's got a picture of a bunch of grapes. Grape. I like the street because of the little story and saying that goes behind it. It's also really pretty, and it also takes us out onto Plaza del Conde de Barajas. There is a saying connected with Calle de la Pasa. Yes. Would you like to hear it? Um, I would love to hear it, uh, yeah, because I think I have it memorized, but your accent's a lot better than mine, so go for it. Okay, it says, El que no pasa por la calle de la pasa, no se casa. What does that mean? <laughs> Those who don't walk through the Raisin Street uh, don't get married. Yeah. So, basically, if you want to get married in Spain, you need to walk down Raisin Street, which... Brings you good luck, yeah. maybe, hey. yeah, if you want to get married to someone. Walking down Raisin Street right now, boys. No, <laughs> just kidding. So here we are on Raisin Street, Calle de la Pasa. So that's the saying. Why did this saying come about? <laughs> um, those who don't walk through Raisin Street don't get married. Yeah. Looking out onto this street is at number three, the Archbishop's Palace. 
And for many years, <laughs> it was a vicarage where couples had to go to get permission to marry before their wedding ceremony. So they had to go here first. They were forced <laughs> to stop by and visit the ecclesiastic vicar. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it, this saying came from, um, because this street was a constant throng of couples walking backwards and forwards to and from their little meeting with the archbishop and then heading off to their wedding ceremony. Right. So that's where the expression, uh, who doesn't pass through Raisin Street, doesn't, doesn't get, get married. married. But why is it called Raisin Street? Yeah, didn't the archbishop hand out raisins to the people who were coming to him asking basically for permission to wed? Almost. It got its name because there was a Cardinal Archbishop of Toledo who was called, oh, he was right. called, he was called Don Luis Antonio Jaime. Draw yourself a mental picture of that gentleman in your head. Imagine I, what he looks like. I'm going to Google image. I, and see what I'm he, too. I'm too. I wonder if my image is correct, but <laughs> we'll <probably>. find out. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, Cardinal Archbishop. Don Luis Antonio Jaime used to give out handfuls of raisins mm. to the city's poor every oh, to day. The poor, not just to people getting married. Not to people getting married. That's mm. kind. Yeah. I mean, people not getting married should get something, and right? giving to the poor is important. <laughs> yeah. So that's where it got its name, Raisin Street. The, the Cardinal Archbishop used to give out handfuls of raisins to the city's poor on a daily basis. Every day he used to do it. Yes. Two of my favorite named streets in uh, Madrid, uh, Raisin Street and Elbow Street. There is one called Calle de la Lechuga, Lettuce Street. Oh, I saw street. that. I've seen, Calle de, mm. I've seen Lettuce Street, yes. Yeah. yes. I'm not sure about the story behind that. Okay, so we've wandered down from Calle de la Pasa, and we have now found ourselves perched by another fountain in a little square called Plaza de Pontejos. Now, I've chosen this as one of my favourite little places in Madrid. We're really close to Sol, mm-hmm. which neither of us are big fans no. of because it's super busy. But you wouldn't know it. Like, this is, it's still right where we are. It has a very local feel. You wouldn't know that three minutes away is, you know, yeah. you'll see people dressed in Mickey Mouse suits. And <laughs> <laughs> the centre of, like, kind of Madrid mass tourism, the kind that I don't mm. love personally. I've chosen this square and really, I'm, it's a bit of a cheat, really, because it's not just a square. There are a few surrounding streets yeah. around here, Plaza de Pontejos. Why have I chosen it? Because all of these, this square and the streets around here is a kind of hub for haberdashery shops. Mm-hmm. It's not a word I say very often, haberdashery. No, it's haberdashery. Very old-fashioned. Yeah. And indeed, these shops are very old-fashioned. We are looking right now at... <laughs> A shop called Almacén de Pontejos, which specialises in all things to do with sewing, materials, uh, handicrafts. The shop dates back a long way, actually. Uh, This opened its door for the first time in 1861. It's got this lovely little wooden panelled facade um, and in the window we've got ooh, lace lace like spools of yarn and uh, and hats and pins and yeah pins I don't know the I don't know the vocabulary in English but no I don't there's some very specific <laughs> vocabulary cordones which I think means laces laces and like yeah cords like cordones and in this whole area there are about uh, at least half a dozen haberdashery shops haberdashery I just I like it because you know this is just something you don't see in the UK anymore you don't see these kinds of old shops selling this kind of thing I mean there are a few sure but you know you just don't see them um, and they're just for me really still 
uh, intriguing the part of a sort of bygone age. Like, you know, I wonder, uh, you don't see this very often, things like this in California, really, ever anymore. They're still here. They're closed for siesta, of course, but... Just around the corner from here, on Calle de la Paz, is a, a shop called Justo Algaba, which specializes in the suits worn by bullfighters. In, Doesn't get much more Spanish than that. No, that is a very, very niche Spanish market. That's a good one, actually. I get a lot of clients who don't necessarily want to go to a bullfight, mm. but want some Spanish bullfighting culture, which... Yeah, I mean, if you look in the window of that shop, you're going to see in the window, you know, the full suits. Yeah, what they call the traje de luces, yeah, yeah this, the, the, the suit of light. It's just something that you don't, you know, you don't see every day, even in most parts of Madrid. So that's no. why I've kind of chosen this little kind of corner of the city where you see all these old-fashioned haberdashery shops and traditional outfitters. Let's see if it's open. I'm intrigued. It's closed. But just look how much wow. there is in that here. That is a lot of haberdashery. So it's a long, narrow shop, probably about, mm. I don't know, what, 20 meters long? Yeah. All over the wall brooches there are buckles for belts there are goodness knows how many buttons and oh, behind the counter yeah. there are all these jars of buttons and scissors lots of scissors right there spools of fabric, fabric lace. cotton lace wow yeah when you look in it looks like something from i don't know 50 years ago doesn't it's like it jumping back into the past yeah Here we are. Where are we? We're on Calle Embajadores, which basically is kind of like, I guess, the dividing line almost between Lava Pies and La Latina. It's kind of on the edge of the Lava Pies neighborhood, which is, um, historically speaking, where a lot of immigrants moved when they settled in Madrid. So you see a lot of uh, a yeah. big North African population, a lot of Indian population, which means really good Indian food. If Calle Lava Pies is where to go. Yeah, there are a whole string of Indian Bangladeshi restaurants so along good. there. Yeah, So good. I could go for some sag paneer right now. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> part of the other really cool factor about this neighborhood is all the street art. And a lot of it is really politicized, including what we're looking at right now. It's um, yeah. about gentrification, which has actually been a pretty large problem in this neighborhood. A lot of Airbnbs have moved in and the local immigrant population is getting pushed out, which is a shame. And there's a lot of street art that depicts it. In fact, there's a I think it's a restaurant from Senegal up the street, which is about to be demolished to become a hotel. So we've just walked a bit further down Calle Embajadores. Where are we now? We're in Mercado San Fernando, which is a really interesting kind of traditional market. It's a great alternative for Mercado San Miguel, which is near Plaza Mayor, which is more popular. The reason that I say that is it's a market, but um, so it's not like where locals do their shopping. There's a lot of those in Madrid, too, that I recommend. But it has a lot of restaurants and shop. Well mostly food and you can drink here you can hear in the background people are enjoying Friday afternoon right now and it's like you have variety right now we just wandered up to an Australian place and earlier we just wandered past a vegan place there's wine there's cheese there's food from all over Spain here and really all over the world you were saying that there's a German place 
Yeah, there's a place that sells German vatwurst sausages. We've got South American food. Oh yeah, lots of lots of Venezuelan food. Mexican, Peruvian, and traditional Spanish as well. And yeah, it's quite busy, isn't it? We were just walking yeah. down Calle Embajadores, That's which is normally quite a bustling street, commenting on about how quiet it was. They're all they're all here inside. Everyone's here. Yeah, and the cool thing about this market is too, um, there's a bookshop, a little. A little stall that sells books by the Cuba. A great little bookstore. It's an indoor market, as you can probably hear, and it's full of lots of little stalls, which are kind of little shop fronts inside the market, I guess. Most of them are bars Most and little yeah. food places. And like you said, a fantastic bookshop. Yeah, books by the kilo. Sell books by the kilo. It used to be the butchers. They kept the old metal weighing scales and they uh, used those to sell secondhand books and you pay for them by the kilo. You could buy a single book if you want. That didn't weigh a kilo. Absolutely. Okay. We've just stepped out of the market and across the square called Plaza Arturo Barrea, right next to one of my favorite streets in Madrid called Calle del Meson de Paredes. It demarks the kind of line of the start of Lava Pies neighborhood. We are we are very much in Lava Pies right now. Because it's one of the most important streets, sort of arteries that goes down from Tierso de Molina Square all the way down to the Ronda de Valencia. So the name Meson de Paredes comes from a taberna, an, oh, an inn that the guy Simon Miguel Paredes built. At the time, it was one of the largest and most spacious of its kind in Madrid. So like five star. Five Star Taberna, yeah. built by the man himself, Simon Miguel Paredes. And he got his own street. And he got a street named after him. It's an interesting street, I think, because it's very eclectic. It is very eclectic. I mean, we're looking at stores that sell, I think that, that that looks like Moroccan goods right across. Yeah, bazaar, and you can see the tile work. Artisanal Moroccan yeah. goods there. Tapas, so plenty very of Yeah, plenty of tapas, bars, a number of, like we were saying earlier, uh, restaurants with all sorts of different cuisine from all around yeah. the world, uh, particularly North African. Yep. At the top of the street is a little taberna called... Antonio Sanchez. It, it's, its history is quite deeply rooted in the bullfighting tradition. One of those classic bars that still has like a zinc counter. It's got lots of photographs, former bullfighters all around it. I'm not an advocate of bullfighting, but it's very deep Spain. Yeah. It is deeply rooted in at least historical Spanish culture. Um, so question, are there bullheads hanging on the wall? There are indeed bullheads okay. along with the photographs, of course, it, like it, it, any any tauromachia bar. Yeah, and another interesting little thing about that bar is they still have a notice on the wall saying that they, st that they sell French toast for 15 cents and that spitting on the floor is forbidden. Another important uh, little mini landmark on Calle Meson de Paredes is called La Fuente de Cabastreros, which is a little fountain. Mm. It used to be connected at the time of the Republic of Isabel II, connected to the Isabel Canal, oh, which okay. provides water, water for lots of Madrid, yeah, all of Madrid. Yep. That source also gave water to the neighboring convent, which are the nuns of Santa Catalina del Sena, which is just where now the Plaza de Cabastreros is. Do they also make cookies and sweets? I don't think they do. 
We don't think they have the cooking talents of the, the, the nuns at uh, Corpus Christi, unfortunately. Okay. During the War of Independence, the nuns of Santa Catalina were expelled from the convent in the Carrera de San Jerónimo, and after a brief stay on Calle Nuncio, which is just around the mm, corner, gotcha. the Duke of Medina Celli gave the nuns a building of his property on the street right next to Maison Paredes. The convent remained in Lava Pies until 1966. Where we're sitting now, we're looking across where Calle Maison de Paredes intersects the streets of Sombrerete and Tribolete. Uh, there's some classic examples of the 19th century corrales, which we are looking at now. They're like uh, wooden walkways wooden, yep. where the entrance to each apartment is. So you've got all the doors. They're exposed, yeah, so, so they're, they're, they're not walled in. So you've got normally uh, metal wrought iron like railings. Yep. And you quite often see uh, washing hanging out, yeah. as you can see there, and there are green blinds uh, hanging down. So they're kind of exposed wooden walkways, and they're called corralas, and they're quite typical in the 19th century mm. apartment buildings in Madrid, you yes. see them. I find them quite attractive, yeah, actually. They're quite actually, interesting. I do, too. I think that they're a really great glimpse of how locals here in Spain live. Also, right in front of us, on the edge of Maison de Paredes, and on the square where we're sitting, very emblematic building. It's called the building of the Pious Schools. Oh. And it was built originally in 1729. It became one of the most advanced schools in Europe. It was the first deaf-mute school in Spain. It was also founded in that building we're looking at now. It also had a church on the site as well. But what happened was, during the War of Independence, it was pillaged by the French lost its library. In 1814, it was reformed by somebody called Father Losada. In 1936, in July, the church was ransacked and burned, something that happened a lot during the beginning of the, the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. What was left of the building, which is what we're looking at now... It's like a shell. It's like a the shell, building. isn't it? So it's made of very sort of thin, reddy brown coloured bricks, Brick. and it's got a big oval windows and arch windows with no glass in and indeed no. the top part of the of the building has no interior no. at all in uh, subsequent reincarnations it was used as a refuge for the homeless it was a mm. cinema at one oh, point that's interesting yeah and then uh, between 1996 and 2004 an architect called jose ignacio linaza redeveloped it as uh, a headquarters for UNED and UNED is a distance learning university and it now uh, functions today as a library so what they've done they've kept the old facade and they've put glass windows on the inside it's basically a, a paneled glass interior so they've kept the oh, shell of the building yeah. I've seen photos of the inside of that library really really beautiful but unfortunately it's not open to the public mm -hmm. you do need to be a member of the university but it's a kind of monument to the sort of barbarism of the past so there you go yeah Calle Maison de Paredes um, one of my favorite streets in the Lava Pies neighborhood yeah. and, and another one of my favorite streets in Lava Pies which is sort of runs parallel to Maison de Paredes is a street called Calle de Olivar mm, it's so beautiful right you've probably seen photos of it if you follow my Instagram or Paul's it's one of the most photographed streets, I think, in Madrid. And the reason it's really beautiful is it's on a steep incline. And if you walk up the street, the street gently curves. And I think it's on the left-hand side as you're walking up. I'm just trying to yeah, picture it now. All of the apartment buildings are painted various different shades of sort of pastel colours. Yellow, pink, it's blue, beautiful. green. It photographs really nicely with the curve of the street and with the old architecture and the colours. Yeah. 
It's gorgeous. Particularly if you catch it on a day with the sun yeah. uh, just just ac uh, accenting the colours of those buildings. Yes. And Calle del Olivar, because it used to be an olive grove, right. one of Madrid's bigger olive groves uh, in the on the edge of Lava Pies here. Yeah, kind of hard to believe now that this yeah. was probably all olive groves. Crazy uh, hard to believe now. Right, yeah, very <laughs> loud, boisterous, vibrant yes. neighbourhood of tiny little uh, labyrinth of streets. Karen, you wanted to talk a little bit about tapas and an alternative location yeah. for going for tapas. I recently did a live video for my patrons talking about Cavabaja, which is a kind of typical place to go. It's a good place to go, but it is very well known, a little bit touristy. But there are there is another good location in Madrid, which is a bit off the bit more off the yeah. beaten path, which is your thing. Where 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 do you recommend for tapas? So on the other side of Retiro Park, um, there's Calle de Abisa, like the island. And it's kind of become the really hot spot for locals to go out and get their tapas. It's one street, um, and it's beautiful because in the middle it's kind of a parkway with some open terrazas. But all the bars serve really great tapas, and it's just a good place to do a mini tapas corral. It's not going to be like on the scale of Cava Baja with the history or with, you know, the beauty of the architecture. But for a more localized experience, that's where I've been sending my clients and my travel Spain community. Yeah, there's some great places around there. Head out of the Ibiza metro station, which is just to the east of the Retiro Park and uh, all of those surrounding streets. You don't have to walk very far around there to check out some really traditional uh, tapas bars. No. Another tapas street which I, which has become very oh, yeah. popular is Ponzano recently. In the north, yeah. Ponzano is really nice too. I like it because, again, it has a very local feel. Um, it's kind of closer near to the Chamberi neighborhood, which was where we started this morning. Mm. Yeah, that's another good alternative for people who really want to come and elbow up with at a tapas bar more with the locals and less with the tourists. Yeah, I'd agree. Cavabaja is a, is a lot more touristy. It's beautiful, though. And it's the, beautiful. And it's great. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, it's not only tourists from, you know, around the world. It's a lot of tourists from Spain. So it mm. still has that very local, authentic Spanish feel. So that would conclude our list of favorite streets. And just tell us a little bit more about the services that you offer. I can help customize your trip to Spain, especially if you're a more independent mind traveler who just wants somebody to put it all together for you. You know, I am American and I do live here and I understand how people from abroad travel in Spain. They have different needs than Europeans or Spaniards coming to travel in Spain. We get about two weeks holiday a year and... You know, we want to see everything in Spain in two weeks. Unfortunately, Spain's a big country. That's not possible. So I do a lot of tough love in my job. And, okay, mm -hmm. what are you really interested in seeing? Then these, based on that, these are the places that I think we can string together in an itinerary. I help you put it all together with uh, train tickets, internal flights if needed, bus tickets, localized experiences. Like in the Travel Spain community, we have a lot of local travel operators, especially in places more off the beaten path, like Murcia, for example example, uh, mm. and up in Cantabria, Asturias. So while, you know, I personally love Andalusia, it's really my favorite personal region of Spain, and I highly recommend going there. There's other things to see in Andalusia other than Sevilla, Granada, and Cordoba. So I just try to give my, my clients, my travelers, a more authentic space. I'm also 
beyond obsessed with pueblos of Spain. I love, love, love <laughs> the Andalus pueblos. I just actually did a piece for the local about that. And then for my clients who don't necessarily need a full itinerary or for me to do it all, I can do as little or as much for a trip as everybody wants. I also offer Spain travel consultations, which is one-on-one -on -one time with me over a Skype call or a Facebook call where we kind of, you, you can ask me questions and I can give you suggestions based on really what you want and with a follow-up email so you have everything in front of you. So mm -hmm. feel free to contact me or um, come and join my Travel Spain community or my new website, which is Spain Less Traveled, with one L, Spain, L-E-S-S-T-R-A-V-E-L-E-D.com. The American spelling. The American spelling. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the British spelling with two L's. Yes. I did not know that. Okay. And the Facebook group as well. A, a wealth of information, like-minded people. You're, you're a part of it. You're an I'm active part, of, part of, it. of my group. It's a fantastic group. You've got, I don't know, thousands of members now, yeah. growing and growing. Great place to ask questions about anything you might want to know about traveling and visiting Spain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Come join us. It's um, If you search Facebook, it's Travel Spain with that exclamation point. There's actually another Travel Spain group. It's not very active right now, but come join us. I think all that's left to say is, Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah. We've had a long walk. Yeah. Around a How few many? different neighborhoods of Madrid. I mean, I already got my 10,000 steps in for We've the done 10,000 steps. What's that in kilometers? I don't know miles or kilometers. <laughs> Karen, thanks so much for your time oh. today. Much appreciated. Thank you. So that was Karen and myself on our last stop in Lavapiés. We were pretty tired by that point, but it was a very enjoyable walk around the Spanish capital and we had lots of fun along the way as well. And just a reminder, if you're planning a trip to Spain and you'd like to enlist Karen's help and uh, get her to put together recommendations or an itinerary for you, a reminder of her website is spainlesstraveled.com. It's travelled with one L, the American spelling, as we just mentioned there. And via her website, you'll be able to get in touch with her. And also check out her fantastic Facebook group as well. It's a real mine of information with people sharing their questions and advice all about travel in Spain. So that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, if you're planning a trip to Madrid, I hope uh, the information was useful. Uh, in the show notes of this podcast, I will put a list of the streets and places that we visited, just in case you want to check them out yourself. And just to note, say if you're new to this podcast, uh, this is episode number 60. There are 59 other episodes in the back catalogue, well worth checking out, full of insights, practical advice, travel and my observations on life here in Spain. And in this episode, we mentioned the convent where the cloistered nuns make cookies and sweets. Just to say, I made an episode all about buying cookies and sweets from uh, the Carboneras convent. If you'd like more information uh, about that and you'd like to hear me going along and buying cookies myself, go and check back to When in Spain, episode number 33. Episode number 33 is all about buying holy sweets. Important to mention also that When in Spain has a Facebook page and Facebook group, which is very friendly and active. It's a great place to ask any questions of uh, fellow When in Spain members. And it's a place for you to share any content, photos, anything at all to do with Spain. If you're into photography, When in Spain is on Instagram, where I regularly share photos from around the Spanish capital and further afield as well. And I also post on Instagram photos which relate to the various podcast episodes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me directly with any specific questions about Spain or indeed any feedback about the podcast, you can get in touch with me directly by emailing wheninspain1 
at Outlook.com. It's when in Spain one at Outlook.com. So I'll be off now just to say, please consider signing up to become a One in Spain patron if you enjoy this podcast. It really, really does make a big difference uh, to me, helps cover my time and costs in putting this podcast show together. And to do that, all you need to do is head across to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. And if you're not in a position to do that, then please consider leaving a small review about the podcast on whichever podcast platform you use. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button or the like button or the follow button wherever you listen. And also, if you know anyone who would be interested in listening to this podcast, anyone who's a like-minded Spain fan like us, go ahead and tell them. Please let them know that this podcast exists. So I'll leave it there. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you again next time. And until then, hasta luego. Hasta luego.